Matthew chapter number 11. When, what to do when doubt seeps in. We've been talking about the topic of doubt. We'll begin in verse number 1, Matthew 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he. Whosoever shall not be offended in me. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for an opportunity to come before you and come before your word. I pray that you would speak to us now. Father, if someone is here today not sure that they're genuinely saved, I pray that you would use your word to speak to their heart. Help them to understand how much you love them, that you died on the cross for them, and that they can be saved simply by faith, placing their faith and trust in you. I pray you'd help me, Lord, as I preach. I pray that this sermon would be clear. So many of us experience doubts, and I pray that you would help us to have a roadmap in finding victory in that doubt. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We can see here from our passage in Matthew chapter number 11, it begins in verse number 2, that when John the Baptist heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? He is experiencing doubt. John the Baptist was a preacher of righteousness. He was the forerunner to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was actually related to Jesus. He was his cousin and a little bit older than he, about six months older, but yet he experienced doubts. With all of the victories that he had in his life, and all of the knowledge that he had of Jesus and all of the knowledge he had of God's word and all of the victories that he had in seeing people come to Christ and the many that he was able to baptize in all of these things, he came to a place where he experienced severe doubts. We can see that he does something here that's very important. It says that he goes to Jesus or he sends his disciples to Jesus. It says in verse number two, and he asks the question that's on his heart. Are you he, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? And then notice it says in verse number four, Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again. Go and show John again. Which leads us to understand this was not the first time of John the Baptist experiencing doubts. There is no degree of spiritual experience or success or victory where you will no longer experience doubts. 
in a book entitled Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, a, an author uh, named Lois Toverberg retells the following story about a famous first century rabbi named Rabbi Akiva. One day, as Rabbi Akiva was shepherding his flocks, he noticed a tiny stream trickling down a hillside, dripping over a ledge on its way toward the river below. Below was a massive boulder. Surprisingly, the rock bore a deep impression. The drip, drip, drip of water over the centuries had hollowed out the stone below. Akiva commented, if mere water can do this to hard rock, how much more can God's word carve a way into my heart of flesh? Akiva realized that if the water had flowed over the rock all at once, the rock would have been unchanged. It was the slow but steady impact of each small droplet year after year that completely reformed the stone. Author Lois Teverberg comments, she said, when I first started studying the Bible's Hebraic context, I wanted one commentary that would teach me everything, one class that would explain it all. If I could learn all of the right answers, in quotations, in one marathon event, all the better. I find now that God likes to reveal truth over many years. As I study alongside others, I realize now that big splashes aren't usually God's way of doing things. Instead, through the slow drip of study and prayer, day by day, year after year, he shapes us into who he wants us to be. Doubt does the same thing. We are either intentionally going day by day and exposing ourselves to the drip, drip, drip of doubt, or we in, are intentionally going to the place where drip, 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 we are exposing ourselves to where our faith can be built stronger and stronger. It is our choice. We will decide one way or the other. Is my faith growing stronger or is my doubt growing stronger? Isn't it interesting that sometimes we believe in doubt more strongly than we believe in God and God's word? It replaces it. But it's because we meditate on the doubts or we sit there and we think about the doubts instead of going and thinking about God and God's word. Well, I went to church on Sunday. That's great. That's a great start. But one mistake that some people make is they think that by only going to church, they'll have victory all week long. It's the beginning of victory. It's the start. It's like having a great start to a race, but you have to be able to 
follow all the way through. How do you do that? You do that by following these simple things. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This isn't everything. These are just some very simple things that we can find from our story when John the Baptist began to experience deep and severe doubts. By the way, let me point this out. When did he experience these doubts? When he was in prison. When he was stuck. When he had been obeying God, following Jesus, preaching because he was supposed to, and it resulted in his life getting smaller and he was put into prison for doing right. Sometimes when we find our life restricted, sometimes when we find that problems come into our life, sometimes when we see our life getting a little bit more difficult because we're following Christ. Listen, my friends, if you are making some steps for Jesus, maybe you have been more faithful to church on Sunday than you've ever been in your whole life. Some of you recently got baptized. We saw some photos. Fantastic, amazing. Even Jesus Christ, after he got baptized, what happened? As soon as he was baptized in Jordan, the Bible says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted of Satan. He was tested. His faith was tested right after the baptism. You say, I'm... We're starting a Bible, a Bible study uh, challenge in the 10 o'clock service, and we handed out some notebooks. Maybe in that moment you're thinking, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I've never really done this before. You need to expect there to be some pushback, my friends. You need to expect for there to be some, some challenges to that step of faith. Here's John. He's preaching away, and all of a sudden, what, 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 was, what is the result? He, he's telling a political leader, hey, you're living in sin. What does the political leader do? Not political leader. He was... Uh, uh, he was a monarch. He was a king. What did he do? Put him in prison. We know a little bit later what happens to John the Baptist. Well, he's he, he's a political. He, he's he's a he's a he's a uh, something that this that this this government leader uses as a a ploy or a tool to get what he wants. He uses him as a pawn. He he ends up telling somebody, "Look, I'll give you whatever you want." And they said, "I want John the Baptist's head on a charger on a big plate." Here he is, helpless. Sitting in prison, and what is happening? He doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die. Well, what happens while he's here? He's experiencing doubts. He follows these four simple things. This can be expanded into more things, but we'll just keep them simple, nice nice and simple. We talked about this last week. First of all, he went to Jesus with his doubts. He was experienced. Do not think that Jesus is upset with your questions. He's not upset with your doubts. Even Jesus Christ himself. Dying on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not necessarily that he's experiencing doubts, but at the same time, we see his humanity there. Some people want to say, it's wrong for you to say, why, God? Well, Jesus said, why, God? So should I just keep the doubts to myself? Should I just... Keep them in my, in my mind and in my heart. Should I lie awake thinking about them at night? No. What we should do is we should do what John the Baptist did. We should go to Jesus with our doubts. 
how do we go to Jesus? He's physically alive during this time period with Jesus. And so he sent his two disciples. Of course, he's in prison. He can't get out of prison to bring his doubts to Jesus. We understand that. So he sends his two disciples. We'll get into that in just a moment. But Jesus was physically on the earth. So how do we bring our doubts to Jesus? Well, we do that through prayer. We simply pray to him. We simply go to him in faith and say, I am really struggling here. You say, it can't be that easy. Friends, that is the beginning. How can he help us with doubts if we don't go to him? How can we, how, how can he strengthen our faith if we don't put ourselves in a place where he can help us? Look at Psalm 40 and verse number one. Psalm 40, Psalm 40. There are many, many, many Psalms that we could go to. David, King David, David the shepherd, David the psalmist wrote many psalms when he was experiencing doubts. These were prayers. He's talking right to God. Okay? He's talking right to God in Psalm 40 and in many of the psalms. And they were written down and they were and uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they became songs, right? Something that begins with doubt. Something that begins with doubt can end in victory if we go to God with our doubts. Psalm 40, verse number one. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me. Oh, I love this psalm. Some of you are familiar with this one. I love it. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. What does inclined mean? He leaned in. Little kiddos, right? Their little heads are so down, right? They're so they're they're short. <laughs> they're small people. Sometimes they say something you can't hear them. So as adults, what do we do? We we bend down. We lean in. Do you realize that when you're experiencing doubts, God Himself is leaning in and waiting for you to cry to Him? In our stories about sparrows, I mean that's just a simple illustration. He knew the doubt was in my heart as soon as that. Uh, those protesters were coming down and he sent that sparrow. Even before I was able to cry out, he was leaning it. Listen, friends, do not think for a second that our God is leaning away from you and that you are repulsive because you're experiencing doubts. He is leaning in to help you. He's leaning in to help you. What a God. He says in verse number five, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Isn't that what doubt is like? When you're experiencing doubt, it's a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, it just is sticky and you can't seem to get away from it. Set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. How do you know what direction to go in life? What choices to make in life? If you are sitting in the miry clay of doubt, it steals your ability to make good decisions. Can I say that again? Doubt steals your ability to make good decisions. Faith gives you the supernatural power and the supernatural guidance system because it's God himself. And God says, go that way. You can do this with my help. 
But if you're sitting under the drip, 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 drip of doubt, you say, Pastor, what kind of music should I listen to? Don't listen to anything that increases your doubt. Amen. Pastor, what kind of entertainment should I watch? There's lots of entertainment out there that's fine for us to watch. But don't watch anything that increases your doubt. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Notice Psalm 40, verse number 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. You know what begins to stop our ability to tell others about Christ? When inside we're living in doubt. How can I, if I'm in miry clay and in this horrible pit, tell others about Christ? I can't because that's an act of faith. You have to be living in faith. We have to cry out to God. We have to pray, God, I'm experiencing these doubts. What does he do? He leans in and then he comes to the rescue. He pulls me out of the miry pit. Isn't that what it says? He delivers me. He is our deliverer. He is our Savior. He comes to save me from myself, living in my doubts. And by the way, parents, you can do this for your kids sometimes. They may be too small to understand to cry out to God, and they may not be, uh, understand what uh, everything spiritually to be able to uh, do what this is experiencing, but that's where we as parents can come in. And if your child expresses doubt to you, then you can help them in the same way and point their little hearts and the little faces towards God and point them to Scripture. That's what we as parents can do. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. This is, look, it is the child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Whatever the world's philosophy is out there where children are born perfect and the best thing for the parent to do is just leave them, just leave them, just leave them alone is silly. We must train them and teach them and help them with faith. They begin to vocalize their doubt. They're not old enough to, to carry those things by themselves to Christ yet, but you as the parent can help them do that. Let's pray about that. Let me show you what God's word says. Amen. Feeling some pushback on that, but that's true. Okay, Matthew chapter 11. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're experiencing doubt about your salvation, if you die today and you're not sure that you'd go to heaven, don't struggle with that by yourself. Go to Jesus with your doubt. That's my own personal story of how I got saved. I was a church kid, grew up in church my whole life, had heard the gospel my entire life. But for about a year, I'd experienced these deep, deep doubts, terrified that I would die and go to hell, terrified that Jesus would come back and I, and I, and everyone would be raptured up to heaven and I would be left behind. I was just scared. I hated it when somebody preached on hell. I hated it when somebody preached about Jesus. Doubts. I was so tormented 
in my own heart. I finally verbalized privately. I said, Jesus, I don't understand. I don't know if I am saved or if I am lost. Would you please show me? About a week later, a visiting pastor came through and said the very words I needed to hear that cleared everything up. And it was completely of the Lord. He said at the end of the sermon, he said, we don't get baptized to go to heaven because a baptistry water did not die for us. I thought, I'm not thinking that. I'm not trusting in a water baptism to save me. He said, you can't be a good enough person to go to heaven. And I thought, well, I'm not thinking that way. I'm not telling myself that. And then he said, you can't say a prayer good enough to take you to heaven. I'd never heard a pastor say that before. He said, a prayer didn't die for you. A person died for you. And right there in my heart, the voice of Jesus Christ said, that's what you've been trusting as a prayer. Because every time somebody asked me the question, why are you going to heaven? I would always say, I remember saying a prayer when I was little. It a prayer is a vehicle that God uses to reach out to him. But just the vehicle itself does not. A fire truck saves no one. It's people that save people in that regard of a fire. And it's not a prayer that saves us. It's a person on the other end of that prayer that comes and saves us. Our faith is attached to the person Jesus Christ because it is he who died for us. It is not a prayer that died for us. And in, in that moment, it was so clear. That's what you've been trusting. And I agreed. You're right. And he said, will you trust me now? And I said, yes. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And that's the day that my life changed forever. Because I brought my doubts to Jesus. You may know that you're saved, but do you have doubts you're trying to wrestle with on your own? Go to Jesus with your doubts. The second one, focus on what Jesus actually says. Focus on what Jesus actually says. Be reminded of what you hear Jesus say. The Bible says in Matthew 11, it says in verse number four, Jesus answered. He answers the question. Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. But notice, he doesn't just leave it with that. Jesus actually, in verse number five, quotes Old Testament scripture. Listen, when Jesus was helping someone with doubt, Jesus quoted scripture to them. We must not think in some way that somehow we are better than John the Baptist. Nor must we think in some way that somehow we can be helped in a different way than how Jesus helped John the Baptist. When we experience doubts and we go to Jesus, how does he help us with our doubts with God's word? He will do it in the exact same way. Whether that's through a teaching session, a live teaching session, like in church right now. Sometimes it can be through a recorded thing. Sometimes it's you're, you're reading God's word and, it, and, it, and, and he helps you with that doubt. Sometimes it's, it's something you've memorized, a verse you've memorized. But he uses his word to help us 
in that moment of doubt. The Bible says in Isaiah 61 in verse number one, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. This is the verse that Jesus is quoting to the disciples of John the Baptist. And he says, go tell them the things that you see in here. Here's the visible evidence. But then he says, the visible evidence is interpreted by this scripture verse. Oh man, Don't we need to learn to do that? We need God's word to give us the information to inform us of how to interpret what's going on in this world so that we don't sink into doubt. This is why we go to God's word. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. John 20, verse number 30 and 31 says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. First John 5.13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, see the confidence, you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God's word itself turns us back to God's word to find our confidence and to build our faith. The world will tell us to have faith in ourselves. The world will tell us to have faith in general. Just believe. Just have faith. God's word tells us, have faith in God. Have faith in God's word. Next, we see revisit and rejoice in what God has done. Revisit and rejoice in what God has done. Jesus comes and he tells him very quickly. We've got two points left and we'll finish this. Very quickly, he just goes and he says, Look back on what God has done. Look at all of what God has done in our life. That's why we take the time in our church occasionally to say, would you like to share a reason why you're thankful for this church or share a reason of, of, of something that God has answered a prayer? If we're not careful, we will just take it and then we won't ever revisit it. And the Bible teaches us over and over and over again to rejoice and revisit in what God has done for us. If you were to go to your Bible app in the King James Version and type in the word rejoice, the word is found in the Bible 192 times. Rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice. Psalm 9 and verse 2 says, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Psalm 31, 7. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Psalm 33, 1, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Psalm 33, 21, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. 
Philippians 4, 4, we could probably all quote this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Here's the problem. We revisit doubt instead of revisiting what God has done. If we were to, how many of you are coffee drinkers in the morning? The rest of you, I'm not really sure if you're saved. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Right? The first cup is always the best. Would you agree with that? The first cup of coffee, that, that first sip of the first cup is like, okay, it's going to be okay. Right? Is that true? That's, that's the truth. Okay? Look, rejoicing to joy again is going back to what God has done. It's like the first cup every day. It's not the second cup where it's like, "Mm." right? Second cup, it's not quite as hot. You've already had a full cup down. And by the way, if you only drink one cup of coffee, you're probably a beginner at drinking coffee, right? At least two is my opinion. That's my recommendation. At least two. Amen. And uh, and like Brother Braden, if you go to Timmy's, it's a couple of liters, I think. A couple of liters. Guys, look, if we're going to have victory over our doubt, we have to learn to revisit what God has done for us. We have to rejoice, to joy again, to experience the joy. And notice it says, rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes it may be difficult for us to go back and say, what has God done for us? But he's always there. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We must be intentional with it. It's not going to happen by accident. Last one is this. John was not alone. He was stuck. He was literally stuck in jail. I'm pretty sure they didn't have, you know, uh, visitation rights and that kind of a thing. Like they didn't have like, hey, you know, Jesus, you know, we're going to do a little background check and, and you can come in and you can visit. And <laughs> this is old school Roman Empire stuff. Uh, they, they, what, what could he do in, his, in that moment to help his faith when he's experiencing these deep doubts? Well, I mean, his two disciples got in somehow. So maybe Jesus was too far away. Maybe it was, maybe, maybe it was uh, uh, the, the, the prison guard helped. However it happened, he was able to get those two disciples. He had help. He had help. He had a group of disciples of his that helped him in his crisis of faith. If you're experiencing doubt, allow yourself to be ministered to by other believers. Allow other people to come and help you. Maybe mention it to somebody and say, you know, I'm really experiencing doubts. Just say, I need some help. Ask for help from good Christian friends and from your church family. In his book, Stories for the Journey, William R. White shares the story of Hans, a European seminary professor. Seminary is like where you go for theological training, if you're not sure what that means. Seminary professor is the guy that's supposed to know God and know his word. But he was devastated by the death of his wife, Enid. 
Hans was so overcome with sorrow, he lost his appetite and didn't want to leave the house. Out of concern, the seminary president, along with three other professors, paid Hans a visit. The grieving professor confessed he was struggling with doubt. He said, I am no longer able to pray to God. He admitted to his colleagues, in fact, I am not certain I believe in God anymore. Here's a guy that served God his whole life, has had incredible faith for much of his life. After a moment of silence, the seminary professor, the president said, the president said, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. The four men continued to meet daily for prayer, asking God to restore the gift of faith to their friend. Some months later, as the four friends gathered for prayer with Hans, Hans smiled and said, it is no longer necessary for you to pray for me today. I would like you to pray with me. He had friends. Are you alone? You feel alone? You feel lonely? Satan loves nothing more than to get a Christian alone and bombard him or her with doubts. Refuse to be alone. Reach out. Connect with your church family. Four points. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Focus on what Jesus actually says. Go to God's word. Revisit and rejoice in what Jesus has done. Connect to your church family. Let's bow our heads, please.